Well, good evening. Turn, if you would, tonight to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I double-checked, and that is where we're supposed to be tonight. You can turn to Proverbs if you want, but I will not be there tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Doesn't help any. Brother Randy Kitchens asked me tonight, so we're going to be in 1 John tonight, huh? No, no, don't jinx me. We're going to be in 2 Timothy, all right? So 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, I'm thankful for each one who has made the effort to be here this evening. I know it's already been mentioned, but I, I know that we have some who are sick. We pray that you would touch them, that you would restore them, give them health. God, I pray that you would... Help me this evening to convey the thought that I believe you've laid on my heart. And I pray it would be exactly what some of us need tonight. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we began chapter 3 and we looked at the first five verses. And I don't want to review this just to kill time. I want to review this because I know it's easy for you to forget what we've talked about because you've had busy weeks or busy days, and so I want to remind us of some of the context, some of what's happening here. So we've got Paul's thoughts being conveyed to Timothy, and Paul, in verse number one, just brings Timothy's attention to this truth that one day this world is going to end. This world is not going to last forever. I mentioned last week it doesn't matter what the environmentalists do, what the liberals do. They're not going to preserve this world forever. One day it's going to come to an end, and so what Paul said is here are some indications, here are some things that you can look for, Timothy, to know when we're nearing the end of this world. He said it's going to be perilous times, and he said that'll be marked by people who are lovers of themselves. He said they're going to be covetous. He said they'll be blasphemous. He went through all these different things that are going to be present. And then in verse number 5, he said, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So what Paul said to Timothy was this, is that the people who are going to manifest these characteristics and these traits are people who are going to give off the resemblance of godliness. They're going to give off the resemblance of being Christians. They're going to give off the resemblance of being God-fearing people. But he said they deny the power thereof. They reject the power of the word of God. They reject the power of the gospel that can actually change their life. And so he said in the last part of what we call verse number five, he said, from such, turn away. Paul said to Timothy, son, you don't want anything to do with these people. You want to avoid them. You want to, you want to distance yourself from them because they're not going to help you. And in fact, they could actually hurt you. And so I showed us, or I tried to show us last week as we went through this long list of different characteristics or, or different things that'll be present, I tried to show us how it seems like things are magnified in our culture today. It seems like all of this is happening to a greater proportion, which would make us think we've got to be living in the last days. And so much of what we're seeing in our culture from this list is still coming from people who identify, who give off a resemblance of godliness meaning they're the ones who talk about God, they're the ones who talk about prayer, they're the ones who talk about going to church, all these different things, but they've rejected the power of the gospel that can change their lives. 
And so I just want to say again, by way of challenge, by way of reminder, we don't need to have anything to do with these type of people. If they're not worried about living for the Lord, if they're not worried about living a life of subjection and submission to, to God's word, that's not who we need to spend our time with and allow them to influence us. They're not going to help us. They're going to hurt us. So we need to turn away from them. So that's the context. That's the review. And tonight we're going to look at four more verses. Before we do, I just want to touch on something this evening that all of us know. This is not a surprise to any of us, but as I've said on so many occasions in the past, we lose sight of this. So I want to remind us of something tonight that you know, that I know, but maybe you've forgotten. And that is this, is that everyone, every person we come into contact with deals with frustrations and discouragement. Every person that we come into contact with, they deal with frustrations and they deal with discouragements. It does not matter how successful their life appears to be. It does not matter how well it may look as though their ducks are in a row. Everyone, everyone, literally everyone has frustrations and discouragement they have to deal with. Now, in light of that, here's what we know is our frustrations and our discouragements vary from person to person. So what frustrates and discourages you may not frustrate and discourage me. What you're dealing with right now may not be what I'm dealing with or what someone else is dealing with. But for us to think that we're some unique individual and I'm going through something and no one else has ever gone through this and no one else can identify with this, well, that's nonsense. Because we've all had our share of frustrations and discouragements. So whatever you might be dealing with tonight, again, it may be different than someone else's, but you're not alone in this at all. Everybody's carrying something to some extent. Now, as we think on that, one more thing, and then we'll get to the text. Have you ever noticed how when you're discouraged, when you're frustrated, when you're at your wit's end, if somebody is aware of that, they will sometimes try to comfort you? They'll try to say something that will get you through this difficult season in your life. Maybe they'll try to do something that, that they think will be of help to you. That tends to happen because somebody will see, someone will notice, and, and they'll care enough to try to say something encouraging or do something encouraging. And while someone may try to help, it's on us as to how we respond to that. They've meant well, they were trying. Now how we respond to that is up to us. Now with all that in the background, 
let me just remind us of a little bit more context. This was a letter given from the heart of Paul to Timothy. This is a personal letter. As I've said before, I, I don't think that the Apostle Paul was assuming when he wrote this letter or had these words penned, I don't think the Apostle Paul was thinking to himself, you know, in 2,000 years there will still be people considering these words. That would have been very presumptuous on the Apostle's part. I would imagine that the Apostle Paul, as he was giving these words and expressing these thoughts to the one who penned them, I would imagine his thoughts and his ideas and maybe his hopes were that this letter would get to Timothy. Timothy would read it. Timothy would reread it. Maybe come back to it later. But I think, among other things, Paul was just trying to be a help. He was just trying to be an encouragement. He was just trying to pass on some information as the older preacher to the younger preacher. So as we have an older preacher talking to a younger preacher, we need to take this into consideration that really this is preacher talk. That's not to say that no one can get anything from it if they're not a preacher. Certainly that's not the case. But this is preacher talk between preachers, and that's the intent behind it. And so I say that for this reason, that quite possibly the burden that Paul carried, that Timothy carried, may not ever be a burden that you carry. And there's nothing wrong with that. What served as a source of frustration maybe to Paul and Timothy may not ever serve as a frustration to you. And what served as a discouragement to them at times may not ever serve as a discouragement to you. But I do think it's possible that someone outside of, quote, full-time ministry can still deal with similar frustrations and discouragements. So I think in Paul's effort to be an encouragement to Timothy, it could possibly be an encouragement to us if we let it. That'll be on us. So with that in mind, let's begin looking toward the middle part of verse number 8. If you'll notice there in verse number 8, Paul writes this, So do these also resist the truth. So do these also resist the truth. Now we'll deal with the context as we go throughout this message. But here's what Paul points out to Timothy that there were those who resisted, there were those who opposed the truth. What does it mean whenever Paul speaks of those who resisted the truth, of those who opposed the truth? Well, it just means this, that there were those that Paul had dealt with, that whenever the truth was presented, 
They wanted nothing to do with it. They were in complete opposition to it. They rejected it. They didn't want anything to do with it. So if Paul was preaching, say, on the subject of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, there would have been someone who would have said something like this, Paul, I don't believe that. Paul, I think you can get to heaven some other way. I think you can get to heaven through some other means. I think if you're sincere, I think if you're a good person, whatever their argument may have been, when they were confronted with the truth of God's word, they would have opposed it. Whenever the Apostle Paul preached on the subject, as he no doubt would have, the subject of forgiveness, the subject of going the extra mile as Christ taught during his public ministry, as the Apostle Paul preached on subjects like that, there would have been people who rejected that and opposed it and and resisted it and said, no, 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 that's not required in the Christian life. Can you imagine as the Apostle Paul preached on the subject of self-denial and death to self and living for the Lord? Can't you imagine there were some people who said, no, 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 we're not going to die to self. We're not going to to yield to him and, and, and crucify ourselves. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to live for ourselves and, and get as much out of this life as we can. Whatever it was, there were people all along the way opposing Paul and his ministry. Now, as you think on that, we have to know this, that as Timothy is reading these words, he's got to be thinking, I've met those people. Right? Timothy had been pastoring long enough, and Timothy had been in the church long enough that he knew there were certain people that were going to resist the truth no matter what the truth was. No matter if Timothy preached this, somebody would buck it. If Timothy preached this, somebody was going to have an issue with it. If Timothy preached on this, somebody was going to say, well, Timothy, I don't know. I think you're being too hard. I think you're being too narrow, whatever it is. As Paul is writing this, I think Timothy was thinking to himself, at least to an extent, yeah, I know that's true. People resisting the truth. But in light of all this, Paul acknowledges that of these people who resist the truth, they're not happy to go alone in their opposition. So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to try to get as many people as they can to follow them in this lifestyle of opposition. And what we see in the scripture is this, is that there is a pattern that they would follow. Notice what it says in verse number six. It says, for of this sort or of these type, here is what they do. For of this sort are they which creep into houses. Now think about the descriptiveness of that word to creep. There's some secrecy to this, right? There's some craftiness behind it. There's There's some very sly movements in this. If they're creeping into the houses, they're being very discreet in how they do this. And then notice what it says next. It says, and lead captive silly women. And lead captive silly women. Uh, 
Now, I understand the days in which we're reading this, okay? So what in the world does Paul mean when he speaks of leading captive silly women? I think most of us know this, that in their day, ladies were not afforded the same educational opportunities that they are today. You understand that, right? Okay, so as a result of that, ladies were thought to be less than discerning, not as much insight, obviously a measure of silliness, and maybe also a measure of ignorance. All right, they're just not as smart as men. Now, someone may say, why would Paul use this terminology? Well, because Paul was a part of the culture, and Paul himself was not going to change the culture. This is how the men thought. This is how it was ingrained in their way of living. But what I want us to see is this, is he said, these type, these sorts of people, the, the ones who resist the truth, here is what they do is they creep into the houses and they will lead captive the people, the ladies who are not discerning enough to distinguish between the true and the false, between the right and the wrong. Now let me pause here and and maybe make some brownie points, okay? Does being a woman equal ignorance? Oh, come on, men. This is a good time for you to shine, okay? Being a woman does not equal ignorance. And being a man does not equal intelligence. There are a lot of silly men. And there always have been. And and so here is Paul, and yes, he's writing of silly women. He's talking about how they'll go in and creep into the houses and they'll lead captive the, the, the silly women. But, but let's just be honest and, and, and look at it kind of from our lens as well, that back in Paul's day, there were also some silly men. They were ignorant. They were not good by way of discernment. And he said they lead them captive or take them into bondage. And then notice what he said next of these silly women. He said they are laden with sins. Now I promise you we're going to try to make sense of all this in the next couple of moments. But but these are people who are burdened with their sins. They know they're transgressors. They know they're wrong. They know their lifestyle isn't what it's supposed to be. They are laden with sin, so they are silly. They lack discernment. There is a measure of ignorance about them. Not that they're dumb, but they're ignorant of spiritual truths. They carry this burden of sin. And notice what else he says of them. They are led away with diverse lust. What does it mean to have diverse lust? It means to have a a multitude of desires. Okay, They, they have a multitude of wants. They're not set on anything. They're not fixed on anything. And so it, we, we could say it like this. Their mind is going and their desires are going a multitude of directions. So those who are of this sort, they creep in into the homes and they take advantage of the silly or those who lack discernment, the ones who are burdened down, the ones who are not committed, 
And then he said of the ones that they go after, they are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. What does it mean to be ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth? It means they're always getting more information. They're always acquiring more information, but it's like with everything they acquire, it's like with everything they, they, they get a hold of in their minds, they just have one more question that needs to be answered. One more question, one more question, one more question. This is what Paul discovered in his years of ministry. You think Timothy had noticed anything like that? I mean, no doubt he had already come into contact with and dealt with those who resisted the truth. So I think Timothy could look at the ministry that he had there in Ephesus and say, you know, I, I think I know some of these people as well. The ones who are silly, the ones who lack the discernment, the ones who are burdened with their sins, the ones who are just distracted by so many things in their life and what they want out of it, and the ones who can never quite be satisfied. So you look at these people who are resisting the truth and they're constantly going after someone else. No doubt it's discouraging. No doubt it's frustrating. No doubt it gets old to them. But notice what... Paul also said in verse number 8, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses. Janus and Jambres. You ever ran across any boys named Janus and Jambres? We just want to have our kids named after Bible people. Have you ever? No, you'll hear a Nathan, a David, a, you know, Samson, things like that, right? Nobody ever says, boy, I just, we're going to name this little one Jambres. Thank you, Tia. It's just, it's not going to happen, right? We don't know much about them. In fact, there's nothing else really said about them but this. They withstood Moses. What does it mean to withstand Moses? It means they stood in opposition of Moses. So as Moses had this ministry, some suspect before the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt, some say it was soon after that. We don't know the exact timing, but, but here is what Paul said is, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Now someone might say, what in the world do Janus and Jambres and Moses have to do with this? Well, let me ask you. Here's the Apostle Paul living in the first century A.D., correct? He was. How far back does Moses go? A long time. Over a thousand years at least, if not more. Now here's Paul saying, Timothy, we've got these people who resist the truth. If I preach on salvation by grace, they want to preach on something else or they want to oppose it. If I preach on self-denial and, and, and going the extra mile, they're opposed to it. If I preach on dying to self, they're opposed to it. And Timothy's saying, I know those people. I've got them right here in our church here in Ephesus. 
And then here is what Paul says to Timothy, what I think is meant to be a statement of encouragement. You know what, Timothy? Moses dealt with the exact same thing. Timothy, we're not alone in this. Timothy, for as long as truth has been declared, truth has been opposed. Timothy, get this out of your mind that you're some special, unique case. Timothy, get this out of your mind that, that you're dealing with something in Ephesus that no one else has ever dealt with before. Timothy, that's not true. Before me and before you, there was a person by the name of Christ. And guess what? People withstood him. Before Christ, there was one named John the Baptist and people withstood him. And Paul would say, go back in our history as far as you want, all the way back to Moses Timothy realized this goes with the territory. You preach truth. You preach the word of God. You tell people how it is. There are going to be people who don't want to hear it. They're going to stand in opposition to it. Now think on this. Wouldn't it have been nice if they could have somehow gotten all those kinks worked out in the last 2,000 years? I'm telling you, it'd been real nice. Because what that would mean then is this. If we could have gotten all the kinks out in the last 2,000 years, you know what we wouldn't have? We wouldn't have people who resist the truth today. But here's what we know. People resist the truth. And not only do they oppose the truth, like these that Paul mentions, they're not content to just themselves resist the truth. They want to influence as many people as they can to go with them in this resistance of truth. And who do they go after? They go after people like this. Those who lack spiritual discernment. If at any point you want to encourage me in this sermon, you're welcome to. I even a head nod, okay? I mean, think about this. Look at the number of things that call themselves churches. And I'm not trying to be ugly when I say that. But, but so much of it is geared toward going after people who don't know much about the truth of God's word. And there's not much effort on that ministry's part to impart spiritual truth into their lives. They're going after this young person. They're going after this young family. They're going after this group of people, whatever it is. 
And they want to grab them and they want to get them with all the hype, with all the excitement, with all the hoopla. And the people who don't understand it and the people who don't see it, they go because that's where the entertainment value is at. I was visiting with a pastor today here in town, and he was just talking. He wasn't bemoaning it necessarily, but he was just talking about some people that he knows that go to a particular church. And, and, and the, the, the summary of it was this. They go for the music, and they go for the kids' program. They go where there's that, you get the bang for the buck. Because the people don't have the discernment to see through it. But who else do they go after? somewhat a little bit more nobly, they go after the ones who are burdened. But again, because they lack discernment, they just kind of go wherever their itch is getting scratched. How many of us have ever talked to someone and we've tried to minister to them and we try to, we try to help them and we later visit with them and they say, oh yeah, I started going to such and such church. And you're like, seriously? I'm, I'm going to sound so judgy, but why that church? They go after those who are led away with diverse lust. You know what a lot of churches do? They appeal to the people who aren't too committed. Brother Kyle, you can't say that. Let's just time out. Let's be honest. What sounds better, going to church one hour a week or some preacher saying, hey, see you Sunday night, see you Wednesday night, see you in Sunday school? Well, I mean, honestly, which one sounds better? I know which one sounds better. I mean, just from a selfish pastor's perspective, if I could pull a full salary preaching once a week, do you know how much easier that'd be than doing this four times a week? Who do they go after? They go after the ones who lack the discernment. They go after the ones who, who are burdened, but they've got this really great care ministry over here, and they've got this really great outreach to this type of people over here, and, and then the ones who aren't too committed because it's a whole lot more fun to go to a church where I've got basically all my life to live for me, and I've only got to show up here every once in a while to, to make me and them both feel better. And then how many people are like this that get sucked into it? Ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Sometimes they appeal to the... <laughs> I don't even know the right smart word to say. They appeal to the intellectual side to the people. You, you won't get a lot of Bible preaching here, but you'll get a lot of interesting Bible-ish stuff. Listen, that's, that's part of our society and our culture today. So what do we have? We have people who resist the truth. They don't want the truth. And then they go after 
the ones that they can suck into their way of thinking, their way of living, for whatever motivation they have behind that. Now, let's be honest. Again, not everyone's going to carry this burden. But seeing that happen time and time again, it gets frustrating. It gets discouraging. You think of those who work the bus route, and they work it, 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 and they work it. And the kids are coming, and then all of a sudden, the kids are gone. It gets frustrating. It gets discouraging. The Sunday school teachers who are trying to teach them, they're going and they're making their visits each week or whenever they, they get out, and they're trying to invest. And then just one Sunday, they're gone, and you're not going to see them again. It's frustrating. It's discouraging. I thought of Brother John and Twyla in the youth department. It's not fun most of the time to be in their position. You look up, oh, great, I've got two kids this week. Oh, great, four kids this week. Huh, okay, back to two kids this week. It's frustrating. It's discouraging. It's frustrating. It's discouraging when you, as I've already touched on, you, you've worked on this person for a long time at work and, and you've invested in them and you've prayed for them and, and all of a sudden they say, hey, we're going to start going to church and you think, oh, good, we'll see you Sunday. No, we're going to go over here with some friends of ours. What? It's discouraging. It's frustrating. It's discouraging and frustrating when a church member, and we don't have this happen all the time, but, but when a church member just says, you know, we're just going to start doing some stuff. It's discouraging. And what do we want to do whenever we're discouraged? It kind of depends on our mood at the time, right? Sometimes we want to punch someone because that would make everything better, at least for a minute. Sometimes we just want to sit down and cry. So you want to cry sometimes? Oh, man. I've told Susie before at different times, man, if I was a crying type, I'd be bawling right now. I'm just thankful I'm not because it'd be ugly. But the point is, sometimes you want to punch people. Sometimes you want to cry. Sometimes you just want to quit. Why am I even trying? You know what I need to be reminded of? And anyone who carries a burden like this needs to be reminded of? We need to be reminded of this simple truth. Uh, this has been going on for a while. Paul and Timothy were dealing with this. Moses was dealing with this. What goober would think we're not 
going to deal with this. Amen. Right? <laughs> I don't know why I'm working so hard and they just won't come. I bet Paul never had that issue. You know, I've just, I've just been investing so much and they just quit. Timothy would be like, huh, we, we never dealt with that in Ephesus. Or, I mean, think about it. Who are we kidding? This has been going on for thousands of years. Which leads me to assume that we'll continue dealing with this until the Lord returns and makes everything right. So my point is this, the next time it happens to us, and I say us because it could happen to you, it could happen to me, it could happen to the church, whatever. Whenever it happens to us, you know what our response needs to be? Yeah, I'm disappointed. Yes, it's frustrating. And yes, it's even greatly discouraging sometimes. But I'm not unique. So I might as well just get up, dust myself off, get my attitude right, and just get after it again. Because sitting around saying, woe is me, isn't going to change or fix anything. So whether it be the Frustration and the discouragement of seeing people just kind of flitter away and be flaky. Or whether it be some other frustration and discouragement you're dealing with. The principle is the same. It's called life. It's always been this way. It's always going to be this way. Let's accept it. Let's move on. And we could possibly even do so with the good spirit. But we've got to be willing to remind ourselves of this and accept it when the Holy Spirit reminds us of it. That's on us. Make sense? If not, sorry. Let's all stand and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. Lord, I am thankful. I'm thankful for the reminder that Paul gave Timothy that still stands tonight. Lord, those who resist truth, those who go after the simple, those who go after the, the flaky, the, the non-committed, Lord, I'm thankful for the reminder that that's been going on forever. Lord, we don't need to sit around and pout. We don't need to sit around and sulk. We just need to realize that that's how the enemy works. And we must continue on. We must. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.